0: Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep, never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look at the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic track trials this coming June. And I am so excited to bring you our first full episode with one of our athletes in season two, and it is none other than Kira D'Amato. Kira D'Amato, who in 2020 really just had maybe, between between her and Sarah Hall, maybe the best year of any runner in the United States. It was just an incredible sight to see. In this episode, we will touch on plenty of that. With that said, over the last six to ten months, she's been on a lot of podcasts. She's talked a lot about her history in running, and those podcasts are really, really good. So go check them out. Now all of my friends in the podcasting world have interviewed Kira and for great reason. Not only is she a wonderful runner, blah, blah, not only is she a wonderful runner, there it is. She's also a great person and absolutely hysterical. Uh this episode we touch on some of the past stuff but we don't take a huge deep dive into it because again, people have already done that work. So go check that out. We talk more about what's going on now and what's you know potentially going to happen in the short term. So I'm really excited for this episode. In addition to that, as you'll hear, we talk like an hour after she made the formal announcement that she is now a Nike athlete, no longer America's favorite amateur runner. She is now a pro, but that hasn't changed, Kira. She is still all things Kira D'Amato, and for that, we can be eternally grateful. So let's get into it with Kira D'Amato. Kira, welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast. I'm so excited to have you as part of this project.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to be on the road and um let's let the journey begin.
0: Let the journey begin indeed. I know we we started having this conversation a long time ago. The road to the trial, there's been like a road to the road to the trials. Like right? there was like a, a long service road, roughly a year in the making to get here. We're finally here. People are ramping up. The trials are definitely gonna happen. The Olympics looks like they're definitely gonna happen in some capacity so i have to ask so these are kind of like the preliminary episodes that we're doing with all six of the athletes who are here on the show and i'm just so excited to get into this now this episode is going to be a little different than some of the other episodes that we're going to do with some of the other folks because you have been on basically every other running podcast out there in the last four months so if people are really interested in like all things the history of Go check out Lindsay, Lindsay, you know, Lindsay Hines podcast, Ali Feller's podcast, Assidious Mag podcast, and a bevy of others. And we're going to touch on some of those today as well, but I feel like there's no reason to go down that path all the way because you've been a great guest on all these other shows
1: already. It baffles me that people want me on their show. I still can't wrap my head around that. So whenever someone asks, I think it's like a joke, like a Carrie movie or something where the joke's going to be on me. But I always just say, yeah, sure. I love to talk. Give me an excuse to talk. That sounds great. <laughs> well, let's talk about something new because something happened today
0: that has been, you know, 36 years in the making, so to speak. You announced your, your, uh, your shoe sponsor and that you're officially now a pro runner, when we first started these conversations, you were not, I mean, you're running at a pro level, but you were not a, you know, quote unquote pro runner. Now you are. So, so give us the details.
1: Yeah. My status changed from amateur to professional. I'm pretty pumped about that. It's uh pretty exciting for me, but yeah, I, um, you know, 2020 was, was a really great year for me. And, um, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, a a couple people kind of asking about me and considering sponsoring me. And I was very, I was very hesitant on the whole topic, just because everything was working. And, you know, I didn't really want to rock the boat when it's working, right. But I also knew that finding that right partner could really enhance my running, could maybe allow me to take bigger risk or, you know, just kind of, take me to the next level. So, um, but I was very thoughtful and very intentional about that process. And, um, when Nike approached, I was really pumped because I've been running in their shoes. I can't even tell you how many years. In fact, like on Strava, I haven't done a good job with like updating the, um, you know, what shoe you run in. So I haven't probably updated it in over a year, a year and a half. So I constantly get the update from Strava saying you have like 7,000 miles in your Nike shoes. You should probably get a new pair of shoes. And I have That's been probably why you got the shoes. sponsorship.
0: They're like this, look at the durability <laughs> on these suckers.
1: Exactly. They're like, wow, she's really putting us through the wear test. But, um, <laughs> But like, you know, since my comeback tour, that's all I've really run in. So it was, I, you know, really excited that I don't need to change anything. But in a way, I kind of feel like everything's changing now that I'm kind of taking it to the next level. But, but yeah, I'm real excited. I'm a Nike pro athlete. That's kind of surreal to say.
0: So, what does this process look like on the inside? Obviously, like a lot of the negotiation happens with your agent, Ray Flynn, and their representatives, but certainly, you're part of the process i mean, and you know the focal point of the process as well, just what does it look like in terms of like the overall like the how long it took you know kind of like beginning to end, and you know you weighing you know which sponsors to work with Obviously, it's not like they all showed up on the same day and then you choose the one you like best right like you're in the you're in the real estate game it's not like you go to like different mortgage companies you compare the best offer like these people can come in the door at different times so what was the process for you not only finding the right brands to work with but the timing of that decision and then the the length of time that that whole negotiation process happens
1: yeah i think all in all it was months in the making and i mean the conversation started um towards the end of 2020 and I'm very fortunate to have Ray Flynn in my corner. So he did all of that work and um he just kind of gave me the high level updates. But I have to say Ray Flynn really really impressed me because I'm not the, you know, the typical runner and I'm not the, you know, I'm a little bit different from the mold of what the companies are looking for. Um and I I think I'm looking for different things in a company too, than someone right out of college. Um, so I feel like that allowed me a lot of freedom to really, um, take my time and pick the right partner for me. And, um, you know, and Ray was really supportive to, to, to the, my, um, I don't know my trepidation or just the, the the way I processed everything. He just kind of let me take my time and, um, Colin, he followed my lead on all that. So I'm super, super appreciative for that. Um, but he, you know, he kind of just presented the options and he helped me kind of navigate the path. And it came to, I mean, the biggest thing at the end of the day was I've been running in Nike shoes for so long that I didn't really want to switch anything. So, um, when I finally figured that out, he, uh, you know, he worked with Nike and, and they came to, to an agreement there. So that was nice, but it, it was great. It was really a painless process for me because Ray did everything.
0: So you mentioned before that you're not like, like the, kind of like the clone, so to speak, of a lot of the other runners, maybe that you compete against or the other runners that Nike sponsors. How much of that do you think, was to your benefit in this regard because obviously from a uh athlete production standpoint you're doing incredibly well and we'll touch on some of this in a little a little bit later but you also have a different background in a a previous podcast i was talking to seth bruce i called her the the patron saint of mother runners everywhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like and if that wasn't true if it's not her then it might be you because you kind of take you know the, the same tack not only in terms of your background, but also how you share, you know, your journey and what that journey looks like and how runners of all stripes, you know, kind of can see themselves in you, even if they don't run at the same pace. How much do you think that helped you ultimately in these sorts of negotiations or these sorts of deals?
1: You know, that's a really, really good question. And I'm not quite sure. Um, I definitely think that a lot of people can relate to me in different ways than you could you know, uh, someone that just racked up, you know, all the NCAA titles and um, records or whatever. But, you know, I had a long period off. And so I kind of feel like I'm queen of the second chance and that it's not too late to to try again. And I think a lot of people have pulled strength from that and have seen, well, Kira can take, you know, 10 years of a halftime show and come back and do this, you know, maybe the best is yet to come for me too. So I do appreciate giving people hope and, um, you know, being, you know, I hate it. it, It's funny to say this, but, uh, you know, I feel like I'm not too humble saying this, but I I am appreciative that people have found me inspiring to, um, you know, apply to their own journey. So yeah, I'm a little bit different than the mold, but I definitely think in a way it's allowed me to stand out. Like you just said,
0: all right. So we're called Road to the Trials podcast here. You competed in the marathon trials last year at this time before the 2016 cycle. So obviously this is kind of a protracted <laughs> Olympic trials um, situation where you have you know a full year in between, but leading into 2016 and whether it was the track trials or the marathon trials, where were you both as a runner uh, from a fitness perspective and just mentally in terms of where you saw yourself within the sport?
1: So fitness was probably at a zero. So and the scale being like zero to 100, (laughs) I was pretty much at a zero. I was nine months pregnant with my daughter, Quinn. She was actually, um, I had her four days before the opening ceremony to the 2016 Olympics. Um, And I remember watching the opening ceremony with a newborn, you know, just holding a newborn. And Feeling just like I had everything, like here I am able to watch the Olympics, and I have my daughter that's healthy, and um, I just felt like I was in the right place then. Um, And I wouldn't have ever dreamed that four years later I would have a chance at making the next Olympics. So that that's pretty wild to wrap my head around. But um, you know, it kind of my comeback started with just trying to get in shape after pregnancy, and it just never stopped. So.
0: Now, you know, pre, pre-break for you as a runner, you were you know, a very, very good runner. And when you think back to um, kind of your dreams earlier on in your life, were the Olympics something that you dreamed about? Or when exactly did that become um, like a kernel of a dream that you viewed as uh, something that you would potentially like to pursue?
1: I've been dreaming about the Olympics my whole life. I've, I grew up playing any sort of sport that I could sign up for. I just love sports in general and especially, I mean, what they do for everyone, but especially, you know, females or girls, you know, I just think sports are so important to develop confidence and dedication and goal setting and just kind of just, I don't know, the ability to really practice and work towards something. But I, so I've been doing sports as long as I can remember. And I remember in, um, I think it was third or fourth grade, we had to draw a picture of what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I drew that I wanted to be a professional athlete and that my teacher at the time pulled me aside and said, Kira, you know, why are you selling yourself short? Why, why not like the first woman president or like a doctor? And I'm like, well, that's like, that's what I want to do, you know? So it's been in my, like my blood and my mind since as long as I can remember. And then when I joined the cross country team, my freshman year in high school and I started running, like I knew, that was going to be it. Like, this was my sport. I had tried them all. And I finally found my sport, my people, and this is what was going to get me to the Olympics.
0: Now, was it your sport because you were doing, say, better at it than other sports, which can kind of be like a default for certain kids? I'm one of them, right? That was kind of my thing. Like, I chose my sport because I was, I just had to be better than like my friends at the time at that sport. Or was it like you just, it just harmonized with who you were as a person?
1: Um, I think a little bit of both, but I think the biggest, yeah, is just, I like, I just, I just finally found it. Like, I love the honesty of running that the harder you work, the more you get out, you know, for the most part. And like, I remember in soccer games, Just being so frustrated that I'd be having the game of my life, but we could be losing by three goals. (laughs) So uh, maybe I'm kind of meant to be like the lone wolf runner, and maybe not as great at team sports. But um, I just, I just felt like everything just finally fit, and I got it, and I understood it, and um, I was like prepared to work through the the grind. Like the the pain didn't scare me. It just, I don't know, just everything about it. And then I think just finding the community of people. That I found in my running friends, like I had never felt connections like that. And I, you know, I think a lot of it is just when you're working so hard together as a team, like you just form these bonds that are just unbreakable. And those group of girlfriends that I made my freshman year in high school are still my best friends to this day. So I think it was just a a little bit of everything. But then also I was good at it. Like I went out and won my first race, so that get that makes it a little bit more fun too.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, of course, right and when did it morph from it being a dream to a goal and something that you could legitimately look at and say, all right, this isn't crazy for me to either say to myself or out loud to other people that this is all of a sudden within the scope of reality, considering what I'm capable of and what I've done so far.
1: I think that's in 2020, honestly, like it was always a dream that I was working towards, but I never felt like I was quite there yet. Like I always felt like I had more work to do. And I know standing here, I still have more work to do, but, um, but I feel like I'm there at the same time too, you know, and I can improve and I can perfect and just, you know, this craft, but I do feel like if the race was today, I'd be pretty, you know, I'd have a good shot at it.
0: Yeah, you certainly you certainly would. I mean, if two thousand twenty showed us anything, that you have a pretty good shot of winning any race that you're that you're a part of, and that that's really how that year worked turned out for you. So let's talk about 2019. What did you do, you know, post-2016, where you said where your you know fitness level was at, was at zero? I mean, obviously, <laughs> because you're about to give birth at the time. Um yeah, yeah. in terms of like, what did you do to prepare yourself to To have the breakout year that you had in 2020.
1: Yeah, everything was accumulation, and I think the consistency starting in 2017 all the way through 2020. I never took significant time off, like I did have just like a weird freak appendectomy thing at the beginning of 2019. But besides that, I had never take I never took an unscheduled day off. Like I have one day off a month, and I you know make the most of that. But so I think just consistency. And I think building upon that. So I just continued to grow and just add a little bit more, a little bit more. And whether that was more volume or more intensity or more like extra stuff, it was always adding just something a little bit more every season. And to be honest, I thought 2019, I was going to have some of those breakout races. And I feel like I never quite broke through in 2019. Like I'd finish a race and be like, man, like I knew I was capable of that, but I was like hoping for more. Like if I had a really great day it would have been better than this. So I kind of felt like that was the trend of 2019. It's just like putting in the work and doing, you know, just paying the dues, I guess, but I never felt like I really had that breakthrough until 2020.
0: So when you talk about that feeling of like, oh, it just what didn't quite happen in 2019, do you think that was reflection of that you just maybe you didn't race up to the level of your training or or was it Simple, simple, like was one of the situations where maybe you didn't compete the way you wanted to when faced with challenges, what do you think was the missing 2019 that able to was able to really be, um, or at least was able to come forward in in, uh, 2020?
1: That's, uh, I think it was mostly mental. I think my body was there. I mean, not as fit as I was in 2020, but I think my, you know, I should have probably raced faster than I did in 2019. But mentally, I was working through a lot, you know, it's, it's hard to think, like, now, like, what I had a hard time wrapping my head around, first off, is that I belong at this level, that was really hard to just like, tell myself, like, I belong here. But also, like, I just remember back in high school and post collegiately, like running was my life. It was everything like I ate, slept, breathed, just everything about my life revolved around running. And now in my 30s, it doesn't revolve around running. It's a very, very important part of my life, but um, but it, my life didn't revolve around it. So I almost felt like I didn't deserve to be beating my 20-year-old self because I wasn't as obsessed, I guess. Now, looking at the training, my training was better I was putting more time into it. I was doing the little things. Like I think everything points to being better than my 20-year-old self, but the like just it was a different type of obsession. So for some reason it it just was hard for me to wrap my head around that. But and I would get into some races and I just hadn't the mental part hadn't caught up to where I physically was. So I I'd be in a race and like and I feel like each different race that year I learned something really really important. So like one race I ran Peachtree and there was women that were going for the fastest 10k on American soil and I remember before the race just feeling a sense of panic that I can't compete with that right now like what am I supposed to do and just learning to run my own race and keep it internal and focus on yourself. It doesn't matter what anyone else does. So I learned that lesson there. And then there was another race where there was a lead pack of women and I just tucked onto the back and just ran their pace. And eventually I fell off and my coach was like, why didn't you looked great? Why didn't you take the lead? And like, I just didn't know I had permission to, and that, I know that sounds like a little silly to say, but in that race, I learned I can, push it. I can be aggressive. Like I can race however I want. I just don't need to like tuck in and hold on. That's kind of how I thought I was supposed to race, but that gave me permission to be aggressive, to push, push the pace, to do surges. And, um, so I felt like all the way in 2019 I was just collecting all these new tools to put in my toolbox that I could pull out in 2020 but it was just it was a year of lessons for me and I think it took a couple of hard knocks then to like get everything going but um but yeah so mentally I just needed to catch up.
0: And when did you start to really believe that you were not only capable of competing at that level but com- but you know capable of you know making moves and and putting you know, these other women who have been at that elite level for a decade or, you know, people of that that stature and kind of putting them back on their heels because of what you're doing in a race?
1: I think this fall is where I learned that. And the fall of 2020, that is. And, and I think that I do a really good job of focusing internally. So I have all these workouts and I know what kind of shape I'm in, but I never like stopped to look at like, well, how does that compare to my competition or how does that compare to like, you know, the all time list. So I've, I've never, like, it's always surprised me after a race when someone says like, Oh, that was, you know, a top 10 all time. Cause I, I just had no idea, but I think so because I'm so internally focused, I think that allows me to compartmentalize and kind of keep the pressure off. But then it's always a little surprising when, um, I beat or can compete with these women that, um, I've always really looked up to and respected and just think they're phenomenal.
0: So you raced so well in 2020. Is there a race in particular that you feel like you were able to completely maximize what you had available to you in that performance?
1: That's a really, hmm. Um, I, You know, it's it's funny, and I think this might be the competitor in me and just kind of the type A, but I feel like every race I finished, I felt like I didn't quite mass like it wasn't all out there I guess like there's things that I like dissected afterwards it's like I should have done this or I could have done this or I could do this better which is exciting because it it allows me to think there's a lot more in the tank so any race that I did last year I know I'm so much more fit and I know there's ways that I can run even faster than that but then that's a little like depressing in a way that, you know, you can't just give yourself a pat on the back. But um, I think probably the most special race was probably the 10 mile American record for the women's only 10 mile. That was just a really, really special day. And I mean, I've never won a national championship before. That was my first American record. So that was just a really, really cool day. But then the race that just was kind of the most magical was the marathon project. Because in a marathon, like a lot can happen between point A and point B. So when to have a race, like a marathon race that it kind of just all flows and it all clicks is just magical. So um, so those two, I guess, stand out. But those were also my most two recent races. So that might be a recency bias.
0: Yeah, so you you mentioned before that you're internally focused and, you know, you know maybe in college days and post college, you were everything eating, sleeping. You know, drinking, running, right? At all times, it's definitely different for you now, especially having that internally focused mindset. But here you are right now, you are a Nike athlete and within the running community, that's, that's a huge status symbol. In addition to that, you've done extremely well. You're much more of a public figure within the running space than you ever were. Have you noticed things changing internally versus, you know, in terms of like your ability to focus internally or having internal motivation versus external motivation?
1: Yeah, I uh, I definitely thrive off of just the support. So just feeling the love from the running community really makes me hungrier and it really drives me and just feeling the support from whether my family or like the Richmond running community or just runners in general is it it allows me to work harder, to keep the grind on, it keeps me focused. So I do pull a lot of strength from that externally. But I think for me, just the biggest thing is all internally that I have this. You know, I call it my unfinished business that I didn't hit off. You know, round one. So I have a lot of, you know, my to do list still has a lot of check boxes or empty check boxes, if you will. So there's a lot of things I still want to accomplish, and that um, that is my driving factor.
0: All right. So let's talk about 2021. So you ran the marathon project in middle of December. Um, what had? What does your Basically, what does your running calendar look like since then? And what races do you have on the upcoming calendar leading into the trials?
1: Yeah, so after the marathon, we take uh, I took one week completely off and then one week of running however much I felt like, which I think was kind of every other day that week. And then we start getting back into building just kind of a month of volume. So pretty much January was just a really fun, just love running month. And I ran however long I felt like every day. And I tried to get back into that schedule that, you know, we set when the season, but there was no like official workouts. I would sometimes do some sprints or pickups or fart likes and some of my run, but no really official workout. And then starting in February, um, I'm back into my first cycle of running. And so at the end of the month on um I think it's february 27th that the last saturday in february i'm doing that austin track meet and i'll be racing the 10k there to hit the um, olympic standard for the 10k all
0: right anything after that or is that really like is that i know this is such a crazy year (laughs) because everything's so so in flux uh do you have anything beyond that
1: um not yet i'm not quite sure what's open yet so i think we'll get there and we'll see how that goes and we'll you know, see what's from there. But I think just with all the races and because of COVID they're, they're not really announcing it until, you know, a month to six weeks out. So I'm sure there's going to be a handful of more races. I'll need to get in and get the 5k standard too. So I know I'll be doing a whole bunch of track racing. And for me being, you know, primarily in my comeback tour, I've been more of a road racer. So just getting those track reps in and getting track sharp is going to be really helpful um, just for my progress this year, but yeah, I'm pretty much going to jump at any opportunity, um, that fits within my training and my schedule and, um, I'm just going to be ready to race. So when they open those races up, I'll be able to say I'm in.
0: There you go. All right. So this race, you know, is in basically three weeks from now, when you go into this or race like mm-hmm. this, right. So you're coming off the marathon you had, you know, January was obviously the kind of, like you mentioned the unscheduled month. Now you're dialing up the track. Uh, the the track workouts and the speed stuff. Do you go into that race thinking like, oh, you know, I'm not quite, you know, at my peak right now, or is it just like, no? on race day, I race to win, and you know, and everything else gets put to the side.
1: Yeah, I think I raced to win like you don't want to give yourself any excuses to like allow yourself to like slow down or keep, you know, let the pedal off the metal. So um, I know from our past seasons, I bounce back really quickly and it does take a couple of weeks of shaking off the cobwebs, but I know that I can get into peak shape very, very quickly. So um I, I know I'm not there today, but I know by February 27th, I'll be ready to rock and roll. So, yeah, I'll be racing to win.
0: Oh, that's great. All right. So where does the 10K fit in terms of like where you view like your wheelhouse as a runner? Right. So you put this perspective in 2020. You know, you set a PR at basically every single distance. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, I mean that's, that is a remarkable feat. With that said, where does the 10K fit into the whole matrix of races that you do?
1: I think I am going to be a better 10K runner than I am a marathoner. So I think I have a lot of natural leg speed, which I'm really playing into now. And I think after years for training for marathon, I can bring a strength into 10K that um, that will be really, really, really dangerous when when paired with some developing speed. So um, I think 10K, I think that may be my event.
0: There we go. All right. So when you're doing your track stuff now, in conjunction with you know what your coach is putting forward in terms of what you know he wants you to see on your schedule, what are I mean, does it focus specifically on 10k development? Is that, or is it much more holistic in terms of looking out at the rest of the year and preparing you for the trials uh, in a more you know month by month, month by month building, building approach?
1: Yeah. So I've always, even when I was training for the marathon, I'd have one track day a week that really looked like 5k or 10k training. So I don't think too many marathon runners were doing as fast of work as I was. So, um, so I don't think those track workouts will look too differently because it's what I've been doing for the last two to three years. Um, I think the tempo runs obviously won't, I don't need as long of a tempo run. So that volume on the tempo days is probably going to be a little less and aimed it a little bit faster but then i've also been adding another session per week which is just all about speed um, and developing that turnover and that kick and making sure you know when it gets to 400 to go i'll have the um, the speed to um to really push it
0: and how much of your training do you do solo and what when does it fit into your schedule because you know you have a family, you know you have you know other you know business opportunities you know from a real estate perspective that have been a part of your life for a while. When does training really work for you uh, from a scheduling perspective?
1: you know it's it's flexible and it's kind of fluid. So every week, depending on family and real estate, and really actually the biggest factor is probably the weather or actually how I'm recovering from everything, the week's kind of laid out. Um, I do primarily everything most of my runs by myself, for my track workout, I try to meet up with my buddy. See this France. He, uh, he's very speedy. So I like doing some track workouts for him and him pulling me around the track. And then for long runs, I have, um, um, just some friends that all try to meet up just to, you know, weigh the time out time on feet, but, but yeah, it is, it is a lot by myself. And I, I do have, you know, I know, kind of roughly the structure that I try to hit every week, but then it's very fluid depending on kind of all the factors I I listed before, but it also like it, I try to get it done in the morning. So then, you know, with real estate and family, I have a little bit more flexibility, but um, I really appreciate my family has been really flexible and supportive with, uh, with this dream of mine too.
0: Okay. And when you think about I guess not, No, not, not this year, generally speaking, but just goal setting. Um, do you have a specific process that you like to do from a goal setting perspective, whether that's, you know, either brainstorming them or writing them down or anything like that?
1: I have, like, I think I set kind of three different types of goals. Like I have, like, I call them my Mount Everest goals, which I've had for, you know, those those are years in the making. That's like make an Olympic team or represent the US. So those are kind of like the monster goals. And then I have like my very short term goals with uh, my the mileage that I want to hit that week, or kind of what I want to accomplish with the small stuff. So kind of the stuff that I can hit on a day to day basis. And then I have um, the longer term goals, which are kind of what's going to happen at the end of each season. Um So, but um, it's, again, it's like, it's pretty fluid. And I feel like I set, you know, I go into each race and figure out what that goal is for that race, depending on how the workouts have been going and what I think I'm capable of. And I think that kind of allows me some flexibility to really nail that day and not put too much pressure on. You know, if I don't know if you set like a race goal, like six months in advance, who knows where you're going to be in six months. But when I kind of set it going into the race and figure out what it's going to look like, it just seems a lot more realistic and achievable.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you don't have like a time in your head like, all right, I want to kind of be at, you know, X time by the trials or I'll be ready to run, you know, Y time if this is how the race plays out and I can hit that piece.
1: Yeah, I kind—I of, mean, I kind of have those, and I have the thing—the you know what I want to accomplish big term this year. But I think I take every race, you know, one race at a time, and just see where I am. But, but I know—I mean, to make a team this year, I mean, our American distance women have never been stronger. So I know I'm going to need to do some pretty unreal things to be able to earn my spot.
0: Now, are you going to be heading out to do like any camps or things like that, kind of heading out of like where where you live with your family and and doing any of those kinds of trips that we see so many athletes do?
1: No, I won't go to altitude or any or any sort of training camp like that. Um, I haven't done that in the past, so I'm not going to change what's been working. The only possible trip that we take is if there's like a big snowstorm coming um, my family might just get in the car and drive south <laughs> below the snow line so I can continue training, um, without, you know, being forced on a treadmill for a week. So, so we kind of watch the weather and just see if, if anything happens. Luckily we, ha- we haven't had any really big snows, so we haven't had to do that yet, but.
0: That's awesome. It's funny that you say that. I'm literally looking outside as we're talking and it just started snowing about
1: <laughs> that,
0: oh, two minutes ago.
1: <laughs> <out. That's laughs>
0: I'm looking at I got about like these. I have a four foot snow at the end of my driveway. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so funny. Um that you mentioned it right then. But all right. Well, this has been a, you know really instructive to hear kind of your process and where you are um right now. I'm sure we'll talk after your, um, February 27th, 10 K down in Austin, um, between now and then what is going to be your focus in terms of getting ready for that race?
1: Um, yeah, it's just going to be on my first cycle of the training. So just making sure that, um, we're adding some things into this cycle. So making sure that I'm really doing those things right. And that I'm recovering. And to me, this still feels very early on in the season. So I'm just making sure I'm setting myself up and setting the base for a really strong 2021.
0: And you and because you're so driven, do you ever feel like you need to make sure that you don't step on the gas too hard in terms of making sure that you have a sustainable, basically your training is sustainable and that you're not going to either burn yourself out or push yourself to injury and things like that? Or is that something that you've been able to manage without too much overthinking?
1: Yeah, my coach definitely manages all that too. And he reminds me of that. But I definitely feel like it's probably better to train at 95% and stay healthy than go for like 100% and get injured. So I'm very careful to make sure that I'm not overdoing it and that I am respecting the recovery. And, um, just consistency is key in this sport. So to make sure that you can consistently train at that level, and that might mean backing it off sometimes. But, um, but I also appreciate my coach, like before each workout, before he gives me the workout, he takes a survey of, of how I'm feeling. And if I'm ever not feeling good, he's like, well, no workout today, you know, make sure to get your recovery. We'll move it till tomorrow. So just that fluidity in the training, I think has been really helpful for me.
0: Oh my gosh. Have you ever lied to him about that? But like, but I really want to do the training. So I'm going to tell him "Ah, I'm feeling pretty good.
1: Yeah. And that's the hardest thing too, is because sometimes like where that the workout falls is just better for my weekly schedule. So I want to force it in. And I've definitely got bit in the butt a couple of times from like, is that a saying bit in the butt? I don't know if I've ever said it is now. It's kind of, like, kind of like a weird thing to say. I don't know why I just said that, but I've been uh yeah, I've I've gotten uh it it's shown. It's it when I've tried to force it, it's shown. So I feel like I've learned my lesson a couple times there and I don't want to do that again.
0: I love it. Well good luck in a couple of weeks with your 10K and I can't wait to chat um after
1: that. That sounds good. Thanks for having me and we'll we'll talk soon.
0: Kira, thank you so much for being part of this project. I hope you like this episode. She really is something special. Go follow her on the social media channels. Not only that, but she brings uh, all of her witticisms to Strava as well. Her Strava titles are absolutely fantastic. We have a little Strava talk later uh, with Frank Lara uh, in his episode because he works there. So we have to talk Strava titles with him as well. We don't get into it too much with Kira today, but needless to say, you got to check it out. She is funny. Uh, all the time, all the way around. Uh, this was more of a serious episode, uh, but um, you know she really can bring the humor. So go check that out today. Go check her out on social media and make sure that you come back here next week for some more episodes. We're going to try to get as many episodes out as we can with these intro episodes over the next two or three weeks because these athletes have races coming up, as you heard Kira talk about, February 27th. We have actually three athletes running. So half the squad is running uh, in the race, um, you know, in in the the Trials of Miles race down in Austin in a couple weeks, which will be really exciting. So we need to get the intro episodes out of the way so that by the time that race happens, we can then dive into exactly what occurred for all of those athletes going down there. So. Go check out those episodes if you haven't done so already. Go press subscribe and give a rate and review if you can, because that's how it gets this podcast out in front of more people. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to MetaP for the music and his song, Evolution.
1: Deep. I'm a real person, real version